Love Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. We're just trying to get it together, trying to help the fellow man, hoping we can make it better. Hoping, hoping we can make it better. I think we all are keep hoping we can make it better. And uh, uh, an election year, we're hoping we can make it better. Somehow, uh, make make the world a better place. Move in, be able to do our job as as citizens of a free country, and go to the polls and vote. And yet this year is a really interesting one. And um, no one better to to talk about that than our guest tonight. And uh, we've had him before on our on on the on the catch Block Talk Radio and we're so glad to have him back again. Uh, Robert Stutzman is, is founder and president of Stutzman Public Affairs. Sacramento-based firm specializing in campaigns, communications, and crisis management for over 20 years. Robert Stutzman has been at the center of some of California's most epic policy and political events, including the last five governor's races and numerous statewide ballot measures. And one other thing about Robert Stutzman is uh, I'm an avid reader of the newspaper, and uh, I do read the Los Angeles Times at a pretty much regular pace. And uh, it seems like about once every few weeks uh, in a political article, Robert Stutzman's name comes up and because he's quoted. And uh, for some reason, the uh, a lot of the writers of the Times consider Rob uh, a, a pundit, uh, a, 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 someone as a consultant and especially Republican campaign affairs. And, uh, and so they love to call him and, and get his opinion. So we're, we are privileged to have him for 30 minutes and get his opinion here on a much broader scale. And, of course, we're, we, uh, Rob is one of our favorites. We've had him a couple times already. And uh, not only that, but uh, he's, one of, he's a big fan of the catch and real important to us as a board member to the catch. So, Rob, welcome back to Block Talk Radio. Well, John, it's great to be with you again. Yeah. Um, boy, you know, <laughs> this, is, this has got to go down as one of the most bizarre election years uh, maybe ever. Uh, we'll have to see as history plays itself out, but so far – um, uh, I, I, can you recall any time when candidates have been more unpopular, even with their own parties, uh, than well, this election? And, you know, why do you think that has come about? Well, no, in fact, it's an empirical fact that there have never, never have been two uh, candidates for president 
nominees of each major party that have been this unpopular, uh, you know, at least in modern times, since, since the advent of being able to record public opinion. Uh, I there's a lot of reasons that we ended up with these with these choices of two people that are unpopular and demonstrably untruthful. <laughs> um, <laughs> we we have, uh, you know, pol- politics would appear to be fairly broken. There's deep divisions within each party. We saw that play out during the primaries and nomination uh, processes to get us to, I think what most people would mm-hmm. agree is this type of dysfunctional choice that we're now, uh, we're now faced with. And uh, I, I, the number one reaction I get from people is that they are alarmed. Um, they're alarmed mm. that these are the choices. They are alarmed that the next president, uh, whether it's uh, Trump or Clinton, will, will not be someone that there's a high degree of, of confidence in. And, uh, you know, America has, you know, largely um, existed and ridden on the shoulders of, of strong, of strong leadership um, in our presidency. Mm-hmm. It's, just the, it's the way our government is designed to work and when we have seen also throughout our history is when the the presidency fails or the the, the person in that role mm-hmm. fails it it really has a, a crushing crushing effect uh, most recently obviously in in our history with with the Nixon administration mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i i think we you know the con- the country's facing uh, a lot of uncertainty and uh, i think very concerned about about these these choices do you Rob, do you think do you think it's almost like nobody wants to be president anymore? Well, on the Republican side, there are a lot of people that wanted to be president. In fact, you can argue that there were so many people, it, it enabled Donald Trump to use his uh, plurality, never did have a majority yeah. of Republican primary voters, but it enabled that plurality to, uh, to, to win primaries for him consistently to, to the point where he basically starved everyone out of the race. But, uh, yeah. you know, there's certain, there certainly is a barrier, I think, to what I see generally to, to good people wanting to enter public life. Um, there is a, there's a real gotcha mentality. Uh, the culture of politics is not civil. Um, we've, uh, we, we listen to the talk shows on the radio or we watch the cable news programs um, that, that basically feed into our view of the world, whether it's from the left or the right. And uh, the country is largely driven apart and driven to be divisive and driven to be completely mistrustful of anyone that's uh, on the other side of the aisle. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're, we are a polarized country. We have been now for, uh, I would argue, 25, 25 to 30 years. And it now is affecting you know, our, our real politic and the people that we, we end up with now at the end of this process, I think are largely a result of that, you know, poisonous, vindictive uh, system, which by the way, drives people to focus on their own self-interest instead of, I think, larger uh, civic minded, uh, civic mindedness. Yeah. You know, do you think, uh, I, I just, I just wonder sometimes you know the the president is the ultimate public servant, and wherever all people who you know who have become president, they've been a governors or they've been congressmen or senators on the way up. They started somewhere, and and starting somewhere probably with a really good heart and a good intent. They want to serve, and they're willing to sacrifice to do that. Um, 
I just wonder if we're losing that, Rob, you know, where, where it's just so much backbiting and so much politics that the really good people just, just don't want to go through that anymore. So they're going to go, they're going to, they're going to run a company or they're going to be a, uh, maybe maybe they're going to be a president of a of a educational institution and uh, or, or or a philanthropist or something like that. But uh, I, I worry that we're we're just not getting our best people into politics anymore. Well, I think I think that's a valid concern. Uh, there are still good people on both sides of the aisle that are there for the right reasons and working to serve. Um, mm-hmm. And I think doing and I think doing doing a good job and serving with integrity. But uh, you're right. There's not much that's attractive about it. I think uh, some of it is you have to spend so much time raising money, um, which ultimately mm-hmm. in some ways breaks da- breaks down the integrity of the system when that's what you're spending most of your time doing. Um, and it, it at some level compromises you if you're if you're dependent on you know thousands of donors to give you to give you money. And that's just not an attractive lifestyle. Uh, and then there's the uh, the question of what can you really get done and what can be accomplished, and um, are, can you have independence from um, all the doctrines of your own party that try to govern and get things done? Uh, I think what we've seen, particularly with Congress, over the last several sessions, is that it was almost designed not to get anything done uh, for political reasons, and uh, it was <laughs> we're we're missing those days of it, you know even in the 90s when uh, Bill Clinton worked with a Republican speaker, Newt Gingrich, to actually mm-hmm. accomplish great public policy initiatives. But we're now going on, you know, 20 years since we've consistently seen that model of work. And uh, that yeah. goes back to people losing confidence in this system that we have held up to be the best in the world. And I think most people, myself included, believe that it is. But uh, confidence is beginning to wane. And uh, yeah. I think what, go, what goes along with that is then people not wanting to participate, uh, to your point. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, uh, maybe, as, uh, maybe as Christians, uh, we could get a, a, a better understanding of, of just the whole idea of civility and of, of, of reaching across the barriers that are there and maybe being, maybe, you know, could it be that Christians could be an example of people who are um, open-minded and able to go for consensus uh, in the, in the public, in the public square. I don't know how, you know, as a concept, I think about that. I don't know how that works out in reality, but I would well, sure like, love to see, see that happen more. Yeah. Well, and that may that may be the silver lining in this election, John, is that you know if you're a if you're a conservative evangelical Christian, you kind of you know been able to go along with this you know being this fairly doctrinaire since Reagan that you're just gonna you know vote Republican because Republicans represent your view on social issues and uh, you might be kind of fiscally conservative and uh, certainly certainly fighting against communism if we go back to the Cold War and so culturally. You know, most evangelicals, and even that term I, I've come to despise, um, have yeah. found their home in the Republican Party. Well, now we're faced with this prospect of the uh, the nominee for the party not having any history of integrity on, on those issues, on those social issues, of, of being um, on the side of, 
uh, of where Christians may may typically align themselves. And I'd say worse yet, uh, subscribes to the most worldly philosophies um, that exist, that are godless. (laughs) He's only impressed with people that have power and have money and have worldly success. And even when he talks to our so-called Christian leaders a couple of weeks ago, he, he defined them as how much power they have. Um, he, he, his economy is completely driven um, um, by, uh, by the power of man, and it's completely antithetical. In fact, I would defy anyone to tell me how this is anything but antithetical to the gospel of, of Christ. So now Republicans have right. to, or I'm sorry, Christians have to think about this. You know, maybe it's not so easy to do what I was always told to do or what Fox News tells me to do or what um, Jerry mm-hmm. Falwell and Jim Dobson tell me to do, but I might have to think for myself and really see if I can apply what I believe and know about the teachings of Jesus Christ and vote for someone like Donald Trump who appears to be antithetical to those teachings. Now, of course, Christians also then see the binary choice of, well, that means Hillary Clinton's got to be my other choice. And uh, she's she doesn't believe what we you know Christians might believe on a lot, a lot of social issues. And of course, we've been conditioned now for 30 years. If you're a if you're conservative, of course, to despise anyone named Clinton. Um, I, I, just, I think there's I think there's a, I think there's another alternative that is acceptable, and that is to not have to vote for either one. And uh, understand that the 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 right we have to vote. And to exercise that vote, um, we can write we can write in names. Um, some people may want to look closely at the libertarian uh, candidates, which have some positions probably hard for Christians. But when it comes to liberty and freedom and religious freedom, you know, it could represent them well. Uh, but the point is not to allow your vote to ascend someone to office who is just antithetical uh, to what we believe as, as Christians. And if you if you want, you know, a lot of Christian so-called Christian leaders out there arguing that you know Christians still come out better with Trump in the White House, whether it be who he would appoint to the Supreme Court or uh, what he would do for religious liberty, all these promises he's making. But boy, that sounds to me like Old Testament Jews begging God for a king, and uh, that didn't turn out so well. It's not. It's, it's that is. It's that type of worldly bargaining that sets aside the tenets of what we really believe. Um, Christ said um, how we should view other people, how we should love one another, how we should view those who are powerless and advocate for those that are powerless and seek justice for them, um, is completely not represented uh, by anything that I think Donald, Donald Trump says. So maybe this is the moment, John, where Christians begin to do a little thinking for themselves and uh, are able to force some very difficult discussions amongst ourselves as to uh, what it really means to exercise our faith at the, at the, at the ballot box. And at this time, it's, it's not easily spelled out for us, and we might have to do things that um, we haven't really had to think about before. Well, I would sure like to see that. <laughs> um, but uh, isn't it true, though, Rob, that if you don't vote for either one of these, I mean, even if you vote right in or or, or vote uh, third party, I mean, isn't that just almost the same as not voting at all? 
Um, no, I don't think it is. I think you're you're actively participating in the in the civic process, and uh, you know, casting a vote for a third party or for a writing candidate certainly says something. Uh, I mean, the reality is, John, that unless unless you live in about 11 states that are considered swing states, uh, your vote really doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, anyway, you and I both live in yeah. California. Well, I, I guarantee you Hillary Clinton is going to win California. That's just a demographic reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, most people aren't facing, unless you live in a swing state, aren't facing this real question of am I throwing my vote away or not. I, I think the way to look at it is maybe not as pragmatically but a little more principally, mm-hmm. um, which is who really deserves And that's not to say there's not times to vote pragmatically. I certainly have. But in this instance, uh, I think just given how offensive Trump is, um, I think Christians should be challenged to think about the, the principle and vote vote their conscience and, for goodness sakes, fill out the rest of the ballot. There will be a lot of other offices uh, up on uh, on that ballot in November. Mm-hmm. Well, what about um, are there other ways, Rob, than just at, at the ballot box that that Christians can can uh, be a voice uh, uh, and think for ourselves and be a voice of reason in in the midst yeah, of all I, this? Uh, where where else can we do that? I think you know, like I mean, some people participate in social media. That's certainly a platform, but. I just think even amongst our, ourselves in, in whatever uh, shape our fellowship takes with other Christians, I think it's important to force this discussion and to have these discussions. And I think this is, could be this important moment for uh, American uh, Christians uh, to talk about these mm. issues and figure out where we fit in uh, to, to politics. Or maybe we don't fit into politics. I mean, that's... Uh, a great quote that was used today by Peter Weiner in the, in the New York Times who wrote a wonderful column basically rebuking uh, Falwell, Dobson, and others for falling in line behind, um, behind Trump. I would, I, would, I would commend that to your, your, your listeners to go look up Peter Weiner in the, in the New York Times. He makes a very biblical, scriptural case for standing against Trump. Great. But he, quotes, he, he quotes French philosopher uh, Jacques Ellul who wrote once, politics is the church's worst problem. It is her constant temptation, the occasion of her greatest disasters, the trap continually set for her by the prince of this world. And, end quote. And I just, that's, we, we've been, we've maybe become a little too enamored with politics as, as Christians in this country over the last 30 years. And maybe this is the moment where we begin to, mm-hmm. to realize um, there is a separation, not so much uh, mm-hmm. in the constitution of church and state and all that that means, not taking our religion out of civic life at all, but understanding that there is very little about the kingdom of God that's going to come to fruition through the conventions of man, including this wonderful thing called American democracy. Wow. Wow, that's powerful. Um, what was his, uh, that's Peter, what is his last name? The author of that uh, article, Weiner. So if you if people are searching, it's Peter W E H N E R. He's a regular columnist for the the Times from a conservative perspective, and this column is Weiner. called "Theology Theology of Donald Trump," and uh, it, it's a good discussion starter. Right. This would be the type. This goes back to you and to your question. Is I, you know, I'd encourage Christians take this, share it with others, and 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 encourage discussion uh, amongst ourselves. Fantastic. 
Oh, thanks for turning me on to that. I <laughs> I love that. We'll uh we'll I'll definitely push that uh tomorrow with our with our catch audience because uh that that sounds fascinating. Um it seems like I love this idea that perhaps now it's time for us to break a little bit from this and um, become broader minded and, and realize the dangers of politics rather than everything we could use it for. You know, I, uh, I remember Rob, when we used to think that uh, if we had a Christian in the white house, uh, I don't know what we were thinking. I guess we were thinking it was just going to make the whole world Christian. You know, I mean, maybe everybody was just going <laughs> to fall on their knees and worship God. I don't know what. But, you know, since we used to think that way, guess what, Rob? Everybody in the White House has claimed to be a born-again Christian. Uh, yeah, isn't that right? I, 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 That's everybody I can think of. And including yeah. Donald Trump, who I guess became a Christian a few weeks ago, or something like, something like that. No. <laughs> Purportedly, yeah. we're not seeing the fruit of the spirit yet. But okay, I'm not going to question whatever his <laughs> his well, profession. I haven't heard a profession well, of faith from him, but the but, you, but, you, yeah. but you're right. I mean, there's, you know, Jimmy, you know, uh, you know, the the, the, the call the evangelical age comes around the 70s, um, and Jimmy mm-hmm. Carter. In 1976, talks very open about his his Christian his Christian faith, um, which was probably an yeah. important part of him getting Christian voters in the in the South. Uh, Gerald Ford uh, actually came to a very uh, privately came to a conversion experience while he was uh, soon after he became president. While he was in the White House, Billy Graham was part of you know ministering to him. And Ford's advisors come to him and say, you know, Carter's out there talking about being born again. Uh, you're, you, you've had a conversion experience. You need to talk about it. And Ford refused to do so. He considered it distasteful to, to, to use his, uh, his faith and to use religion in a political context. Well, you know, since Carter forward, you know, the, the moral majority, you know, getting started in 80 behind Reagan and, and onward from there, you're right. It's always been a Christian in the White House. Obama may not uh, pull those strings as as hard as as hard as others have in the last right. several years. But even even you know Bill Clinton talks about faith. Hillary Clinton talks about her faith. She always has. So uh, yeah, it does. There's not a there's not a cure there for much just because somebody uh, professes <laughs> faith. I mean, I think we all like to think that um, presidents uh, get on their knees and seek seek wisdom from from higher uh, higher power. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, aside from that, um, it, it certainly should not be the lone qualification of even the primary cutting probably qualification that we're looking for. Um, we need to look for, for people that, uh, I think, you know, show selfless leadership, which is the true, I think, identity of a Christian. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard, it's hard to see that in either one of these candidates, as, as we've discussed. But yeah. uh, it... No, I mean, please let us be more sophisticated as as believers than to to merely just be drawn to someone who says the right words. And believe me, John, I've seen plenty of politicians who will publicly uh, say the most uh, correct things using the correct lingo to connect with Christians, and behind closed mm-hmm. doors, you know, express it, it demonstrate very different characters. So, so let, right. let us not be right. easily deceived either. Yeah. Well. 
you you were going you were actually headed down the road for my next question, which would be what what are what are deeper things that we can look for? What what would be uh, the the greater sign uh, of a person who maybe was a Christ follower who is in maybe in politics, maybe not even a president, but a uh, you know a congressman or a senator or something like that? What are what are the kinds of qualities we might want to be looking for? Well, I think uh, look, you know, politics is rough and tumble, and it's a it's a combat sport. That's the rules of the road, and that's perfectly fine. But I think we need to look for people that also show kindness, a gentleness that comes from having Christ in their life, um, demonstrates wisdom. Um, they get angry about the right things, such as injustice. Uh, and uh, there's people with that type of of character uh, in both parties. I think of some of the civil rights leaders that are still, you know, in Congress from the Democrat side that I think have a, have a passion for just comes from uh, a place of, of, of godliness that doesn't necessarily connect, you know, with the experience of white evangelicals yet. Maybe they have something that they can, they can, they can teach us. Um, and then on the other hand, I think of, uh, well, a candidate I supported, but I think of, of, of uh, governor Bush, Jeff Bush, um, very devout, devout Catholic, um, loves his God and it informs who he is. And so he's not demagoguing about immigrants and refugees and he wants to solve problems for them. And he's concerned about, um, those who are, are weak and wounded. Um, and you know, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't protect, uh, do everything to protect the country at the same time. They're not necessarily mutually exclusive. I think in a candidate like, like Jeb, um, we saw someone who, um, had character that is evidence of someone who um, who has has God you know centrally focused in their in their life. So I think we got what we got to look for this type of temperament, this type of wisdom, uh, this type of selflessness uh, in our leaders. And uh, in fact, you know, it should be something we should expect, if not demand from our leaders. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's that's great and very 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 helpful. Um, we just we're almost out of time, um, I, but I'm I'm just thinking, you know, how how excited I am uh, from just talking with you. I like your silver lining, and I like the fact that uh, Christians maybe can be pulling away a little bit from our our reliance on politics, or at least having to line up. Um, uh, all the same, and uh, you know, is this a time too when when we're going to have when Christians should end up all over the map uh, as some as Democrats, some as Republicans, and 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 some as neither? Do you think that uh, that that should be what it really looks like? Actually, well, I would certainly say to a Republican Christian that if you don't have a Democrat Christian friend, you need to broaden your circle of friends. <laughs> and if you, and if you have that democrat christian friend i you know i'd invite you know invite conversation this is the problem is that you know by the time we all get done watching msnbc fox news and listening to to limbaugh none of those characteristics i just ticked off and what we need in our leaders is evident right so we, we need to be exhibiting that towards each other as well learn from one another learn about other people's perspectives why they may have different thoughts and beliefs of you, but 
for goodness sake, have productive civil um, discourse and break away from particularly the media machines that, that manipulate all of us. Don't be manipulated. Don't be sheep. Um, read, read the scriptures for yourself and, uh, and come to your own conclusions about how this all, all works together. And it's hard. I mean, there's, you know, I, I interned for Jim Dobson when I was in college. Uh, he had a huge impact on my, on my young life, and it was very difficult, not painful for me to see him way out there uh, trying to validate Donald Trump. It just puzzles me and baffles me. But we should not depend upon other men and other women. We should depend upon our own understanding uh, of who Christ is and how Christ would have us act. So that's, that's my challenge. And I think, I think as, you know, as, as the church, as believers with one another, um, we can really help each other. And there are things for us all to learn from one another uh, during times like this where our, you know, our paradigms get askew and we're not sure just how to reflexively act because we have to reflectively act instead. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, Rob, I can't thank you enough. This is so helpful. And, uh, I hope we can see some change even in our personal lives and our friends, uh, in the conversation that we have, reach across the table. Um, maybe maybe I should uh, start watching Fox News, I guess, if I'm going to read the L.A. Times. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, the L.A. Times, thank you for, the, for your, uh, your support. It's a, it's a dwindling <laughs> medium, so good for you. Get that, get, that, get that ink on your fingers every day still. Uh, oh yeah. Okay, but that that's a great that's a great uh call for all of us and and thank you so much for uh for your words and um uh last thing who are you going to vote for? I think you've told us. You neither well, one. I it sounds like. Yeah, I haven't entirely decided. I'm I'm interested in the libertarian uh Johnson is running mate well. Uh, if I don't agree with them on on social issues, but there's a lot about libertarian uh, philosophy that I, that's attractive to me. So I'm going to watch them very carefully, and uh, I'll I expect either to vote for that ticket or, at the end of the day, I'll uh, I'll write somebody in. Maybe federal judge Curiel, who uh, you know Trump mocked so much a couple weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Rob. God bless you. Thanks uh, for joining my us. My pleasure, John. This was great. Good to be with you. Uh, okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.